The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it run it again hello and welcome i'm not going to so quit asking when you give me a hard time for the listeners that didn't get to go this is the payback Alabama wins. what you did last year really doesn't matter our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play hi hello and welcome to another edition of the alabama football podcast and folks have we got a treat for you tonight we're hooking up with uh, Herschel Gurley, a little bit of a stage name, but uh, Herschel Gurley with Saturday in Athens podcast. And uh, we really break down the Georgia Bulldogs. I tell you what, they really know their stuff. All the players, all the inside stories, all the scoop. It's a phenomenal conversation. Uh, I think uh, it's probably one of the easier interviews that I've done. I just kick my feet up and just toss out some questions and just listen to them roll because there's so much critical information they have about the team, just so much insight. So it's an incredible, uh, fun listen. Uh, It was for me to record and and ask questions, and I hope you'll uh, enjoy it. So let's turn it over to the podcast. Go. Hey, welcome back, podcast fans. Have we got a treat for you? We've got Herschel Gurley from Saturday in Athens, uh, the Saturday in Athens podcast. Herschel, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, brother. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's jump in and uh, and talk about it. And I uh, always like to start talking a little bit about the coach, sort of set the scene. Take us into, if you will, sort of the mindset uh, of the fan base. Uh, we think about last season, maybe during the offseason, there was a lot of articles or a lot of sort of talk about Hey, Kirby's record four years in, it kind of looks like a lot like, you know, Mark Rick's record for, you know, four years in. What was the mindset of the fan base at that time? Was that just media noise? Was there something to it? And sort of juxtapose that to now where maybe it's a little different, right? Yes, that's a great question. I think it would depend which segment of the fan base you talk to, like most. I think it was probably bifurcated. We talk a lot on our show and we're probably the wrong ones to ask because we are in the in Kirby we trust camp. I just think if you have been tuned into the program and watching the program, and I think as sports fans, we all understand the feel we have as fans for things like that. And Kirby's program feels different than Coach Rick's program. It's not right or wrong one way or the other. It's just different. Um, I think if you look at the donor money that's come in since Kirby's been there, the facilities that have come up since Kirby's been there, the recruiting results since Kirby's been there, if you've been a Georgia fan and aren't juiced up about what Kirby and his staff are doing in Athens, either you're not paying attention or you don't want to be happy. I mean, that was, that's, that's been our opinion on it. And, you know, the records look similar, but I think they feel different. So, Coach Rick's beginning tenure, he had some electric athletes, early success, early SEC titles, but they were never in, you know, it's, it's different ecosystems too, right? There was no playoff system. So you didn't get to dance in the national championship game. You know, we're second 26 away from having a ring in his second year. And I don't think you can take that out of it and look at it in a vacuum of just analytics and numbers, right? Like that matters. 
you know, you go into Pasadena and win a historic Rose Bowl against a damn good Oklahoma team. You win an SEC title, which hadn't been done in over a decade. And, you know, the results are there. They play in three straight SEC title games. And also, I think you just evaluate the roster. And as a fan, you look at it and go, like, even if you're at a spring game, you look at the, look at the silent and go, man, this crew, they look different. Like, and that's noticeable as a yeah. fan. You just look, they look almost 50 deep that they could have guys that go play in a league just from a body composition perspective and how they look when they run and all these things. So, you know, for us, we never questioned it. Now, was there a certain segment of the fan base who was stern about it? Sure. I think, I think there are segments of the Georgia fan base, which I'm sure there are in all fan bases who have a little bit of a chicken little quality about them where it's woe is us and nothing's ever going to go right. And all these things. And we just always talk about like, Hey, look, the good old days are right now. Like it's a beautiful time to be a Georgia football fan. And if you can't embrace that, then you're never going to be happy. Like it's, it's, it's been awesome. They are nationally relevant. We are one of the top five programs in the country and that's inarguable. So live in that and embrace it, right? Like that's kind of been our message on our show is, is to feel that way. Now, do I think there would have been some pressure maybe from the outside. I don't think from the media, I think the media saw what was happening, like the real media, the folks sure. who were tuned to tuned in, not like the drive by guys like a skip Bayless or somebody like that. Right. But I think the guys that cover the sport know that the folks in Athens would have to be crazy to ever think Kirby should get off, get off right. the head coaching seat. Right. Like it should, shouldn't happen, but obviously everything changes when you go 12 and zero and set yourself in a position like they are now. And you know, it's still, as Georgia fans, it's still what's next, though, right? There's still right. three games. They still got a three-game season they got to play, and he has a chance to put himself in the echelon with Vince Dooley. So, yeah. but we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of football left to be played, a lot of things left to see. But this, I think, has certainly bolstered him even in the most, I think, pessimistic Georgia fans' mind that things are, are going in the correct direction. That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot to like uh, with Kirby and what he's done, you know, there at the Georgia program. Uh, you know, I like what you said about, you know, recruiting and you just look at the team and and you could tell it looks different. Uh, you know, how, how, how they run their athleticism, just, you know, just a bunch of, uh, a bunch of big old boys out there are uh, wrecking havoc. Uh, definitely agree with that. Let's talk about the quarterback position. Help me out here to sort of dial in, uh, I'm going to call it the uh, the irony meter, right? So help me <laughs> dial in. Help me sort of triangulate this. We've got uh, quarterback Stetson Bennett, who's storybook to the point Hollywood doesn't believe it. And, uh, and, and you know, from walk-on, he left the team. He came back. He's pilot in Georgia, uh, the number one team in the country. But if you look back in very recent history, that quarterback room has had, you know, Eason, Fromm, Fields, JT Daniels is there now. All of those guys that have come through, highly ranked, uh, accredited guys, and uh, Stetson Bennett leading the way. Well, sort of how funny does that feel? Well, I think it's even funnier given last year, right? You know, Stetson was a guy on that 2017 team who was the scout team quarterback and mimicked Baker Mayfield during the Rose Bowl preparation. And even during the Rose Bowl media coverage, defensive coordinator at the time, Mel Tucker and Buckus Award winner Roquan Smith came out and said, you know, we're like, can't keep up with Stetson Bennett in practice. So 
he had, I think, some heat from guys inside the program early. I think mm-hmm. he kind of showed that he had some potential. But then, you know, like you said, you have a quarterback room that has Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm, and then Eason leaves to go to Washington, and here comes Justin Fields. And if you're a guy like Stetson Bennett, you go, am I ever going to see the field? So he goes the JUCO route and didn't light the world on fire in the JUCO scene. I think he had somewhere in the vicinity of 14 to 16 picks his JUCO season. And he comes out, he had some group of five scholarship offers and was set to take them. And then Georgia swooped in late and offered him a scholarship. And, you know, he's born and raised in Georgia, dream school, always to go to Georgia. So he took the offer and came back. I don't think the expectation – I think if he was having an honest conversation with you was ever that he was going to be the starting guy. I think he thought he could be the starting guy, but I don't think that was ever something that was really a reality until everything happened last year. And you talk about a perfect storm. Jamie Newman decides to sit out because of COVID Um, JT Daniels is not healthy yet from the ACL. He was recovering from, they start the season with Dwan Mathis in the Arkansas game. Things yeah. were not smooth and did not go well. They bring Stetson in in the second half. He, they put up 30-some points in the second half, and he's off and running. I mean, you guys saw him in Tuscaloosa last year, mm-hmm. which I think at the time was he got exposed. I think he had his worst game, and I don't think mentally he recovered from that. Um, now, I will say this, and I've said this to – we said this on our show – he started out the cocktail party last year really hot. And then he partially separated his shoulder in the second drive of the game. And after that point, he wasn't healthy. And then obviously JT Daniels starts the next week against Mississippi state. And that rest of that book is history, right? You know, they go four and oh and win the peach bowl and JT Daniels is early season Heisman favorite. And in all honesty, there have been a couple of stories that have come out from Georgia beat writers where, um, he was told by the Georgia coaching staff that he was at least third on their depth chart going into the se- this season. Oh, wow. Okay. So you have a situation where even this year, before the opener against Clemson, you've got Kirby Smart, offensive coordinator Todd Munkin saying, hey, look, man, you're not going to be the guy. But I, I, I got to give my co-host credit on this. Back in June, we were having a conversation about if JT got hurt, who would step in in the Clemson game to take snaps. And he said, I think it would be Stetson because Kirby knows what he has and he will um, he will go with that, what he feels comfortable with. Right. And damn if he wasn't right on the money. JT gets dinged up with the um, – I think it started with a lat. I can't remember if it started with a lat or which – it was one of these back injuries. Oblique is what it started with. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, was, it was a baseball injury is what I think of. And um, couldn't play J- – Stetson starts game two against UAB, lights it up, five touchdown passes in the first half, which only one other quarterback in Georgia history has done, which is Aaron Murray, which is pretty good company. And I, I think, too, his mobility, uh, Todd Munkin likes that. Yep. And I think whether they'd say it or not, they're always thinking about bigger opponents, like in Alabama, like in Ohio State before they dropped the ball last weekend. But these right. bigger programs where – Hey, look, if we get stuck and we can't run the football, what are we going to do at the quarterback position to give ourselves an edge? And I think his mobility has really allowed that. And I do think he's grown. I think he is less of a gunslinger this year than he was last year. I think you guys saw that in Tuscaloosa, that he would make some throws that he should have eaten or thrown in the first row. And he's been better about that. 
Now we'll see how things go Saturday, but yeah, I mean, to your point, Hollywood story for sure. Right. I think the thing about Stetson that separates him apart and it's not quantifiable. I think it's the gravitas. I think it's that guys believe in him and you can't put a number around that. There's no quarterback rating. That's that's right. on that. But multiple guys have come out unprompted and made statements that they'll play for Stetson Bennett. Nice. And, you know, I, I think that says a lot in and of itself. It's not to say they wouldn't play for JT. I think the guys love JT too, but it's just, it's just different. Something, and, sure. Yeah. And so I think they're rolling with it. Makes sense. Hey, let's talk about some of these uh, pass receivers. I, I think that sort of that irony meter sort of plays a role here too, right? You've got uh, tight end, sort of Brock Bowers uh, leading the way over uh, over Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert. There's been, you know, some of the guys, there's, there's a lot of things going on maybe with the Georgia receiver uh, group, and you can sort of unpack that for us. But I think uh, I think Brock is not someone you would pick over Darnell or, uh, or Eric necessarily. And a wide receiver, uh, Lad McConkey. I know Pickens was injured, but uh, you've got guys that – Maybe looking at the roster back over the summer, you wouldn't have forecasted to be your leading receivers, but there they are leading the way, right? Yeah. So sometimes the necessity is the mother of invention, right? And I think in a lot of ways, that's been the Georgia receiver room this year. You know, we've talked a lot about this on our show. If you had told us back on August 1st that, or, or even back in June, that George Pickens would miss the entire season with injury, that Kyrus Jackson would play half the games because of an injury, that Jermaine Burton wouldn't be healthy till halfway through the season, that Arik Gilbert wouldn't be on the roster because he's dealing with personal issues, and we we're going to be 12-0, and 0, we would have told you you were crazy. Right. Um, and, you know, in all honesty, Darnell didn't really play until week six, so – you have all these guys who are supposed to be your locked-in key contributors, and, and none of them are playing. Brock Bauer's just been a revelation. I mean, kid from Napa, California, came in early. Coaches were raving about him. We thought something might be up when in, um, I guess, second or third week of fall practice, Coach Munkin uh, had a press conference and or had media availability and talked about how diverse he was and said he was an F-back, meaning – you know, he wasn't a traditional H, wasn't a traditional tight end. He right. kind of was a do-all type guy. And, hey, you might even see him carry the football like a running back. And that happened. He had a rushing touchdown against Vanderbilt. So I think when you, if, if you're tuned into your own program, like you guys are with Alabama, you kind of know when one of the guys says something, right. you go, wait a minute. That kind of makes your ears perk up a little bit. And so when Coach Monken said that, we kind of thought, well, maybe this kid's going to be something, right? And so – we didn't know it was going to be this, but when we were in Charlotte for the Clemson game and they targeted him like eight times game one, we thought, well, they That's must, <laughs> they must like this kid. And I'll tell you the biggest revelation with him is speed. I mean, you look at the play against Georgia tech on Saturday where he splits the entire defense and goes 70 some yards. I mean, just afterburners. And um, you pair that with a Darnell Washington, who is just a super freak. I mean, for somebody to be, that tall and weigh that much and be able to run the way he does with those type of hands, it's almost unfair. And to have them on the field together. And I think the other thing about them too, is that they both block well. And then if you watch Saturday, number another guy, number 86, who's also six, seven, John Fitzpatrick, really good player, great blocker in the run game. So their tight end room is just stacked. Um, And really, if you talk about like the unselfishness of this team, a guy like John Fitzpatrick who has been on the roster for multiple years. Technically this should be his year. Right, he should right. have been the guy splitting snaps with Darnell and Brock Bowers is getting all that shine. Right. 
So a lot of guys maybe would get upset about that and maybe, you know, not be all in like they are, but he's been a consummate team guy, played his role. And then you got Lad McConkey, who right. did not become rated on the recruiting scale until he was offered a scholarship by Georgia. He was a zero star recruit ah. until he got the offer. And then he started getting, I think he ended at three stars or something like okay. that by the recruiting networks. Uh, coaching staff loves him. Um, good speed, good route runner. One of those kids where you can just tell was a gym rat, kind of played everything. And he's a technician, man, and, is, and I seems to have great rapport with all the quarterbacks, whether it's JT or Stetson or whoever it is, um, has become like a possession guy. And then you got freshman Adane Mitchell, who broke out in the spring game, um, who I think they see as George Pickens' heir apparent. Um, true freshman kid who's really had a nice year. Has had some issues, I think, with drops a little bit. Um, we saw that again this Saturday, but also in the Tennessee game had five catches on one drive. So, you know, he has that ability to take over a drive and, and make some plays. So uh, a lot of talent in that room and, and guys getting healthy at the right time. George Pickens had six snaps, five or six snaps on Saturday against Georgia Tech. Their forecast maybe he'll have 15 to 20 Saturday, so we'll see. Um, obviously not going to be a hundred percent, but even an 85% George Pickens probably better than most of the country. Right. Well, it's the right time of the year for him to start getting healthy. Right. You know, even, even if it's just in inconsequential uh, contribution this Saturday, getting him back on the roster, running routes, getting back into the program, uh, you know, come January, you know, he'll be, he'll be ready to go. And that'll be a gear that Florida or that uh, Georgia will have at that point in time that maybe you don't now. And so you could, yeah. you could truly say this is a team uh, that still has a, that still has a lot to show that we may not even get to see Saturday. So that's, that's compelling. That's interesting. Talk about these running backs, uh, Zamir White and James Cook, they must be, you know, one of the best one, two uh, punches in the conference. Yeah, that was a big boost. I think when uh, after bowl season last year, I think when Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt on the D-line announced they were coming back, and then Samir White, who Georgia fans all know as Zeus, and James Cook decided they were going to come back, it gave a lot of recall for Georgia fans of the 2017 offseason leading into the 2017 season, mm -hmm. where you had Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy announced they were coming back on the defensive side of the ball. And obviously, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb coming back on the offensive side of the ball. A lot of recall to that. And that's bore itself out. Um, you know, I mean, Georgia fan or not a Georgia fan, if you have not consumed Zamir White's story, please go and do that. Marty Smith did a fantastic segment on him. Uh, Zamir was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate, had multiple mm -hmm. surgeries before he was the age of one. He had leaky kidneys. Um, doctors told his mother at one time he might not live. Oh, wow. um, he just has a very, very compelling story. Then obviously uh, coming out of high school tours, ACL gets healthy at Georgia, tears the ACL again uh, and fought, has fought his way back. So um, if you're a college football fan, just a sure. world-class kid and somebody to root for. And then uh, James Cook is one of those guys who it's hard not to root for just because he's stuck around. You know, he's, he's bided his time, never complained, consummate team guy. Obviously, older brother Dalvin having a great NFL career with the Vikings after having a great collegiate career at Florida State. And, you know, he's one of those quiet guys that just goes out and does his job, a threat, not only running the football, but great out of the backfield catching it. Um, you know, he had the big wheel route play for the touchdown in Tuscaloosa last year, mm -hmm. um, and he's continued to grow off that. I think that was actually a game – 
or a career turning game for him, even though it was a loss for Georgia. But I think for James Cook, that game in Tuscaloosa last fall was a big jolt. I think it showed the offensive coaching staff the weapon that he is. And I think it gave him the confidence to kind of assert himself and lean into that. And he's really, really had a dynamic senior season. Multiple games where he's had a receiving and a rushing touchdown. So they're great. And then you've also got in that stable of backs, Kenny McIntosh, who's a threat to catch the ball out of the backfield. And then Kendall Milton, I mean, I I think he's almost like a hybrid between a Nick Chubb and a Todd Gurley, just a big-bodied, agile, fast runner. He's just had a hard time staying healthy this season. Said he may be back healthy in time for Saturday, but I would expect even if he was, that his snaps will probably be limited. But just a loaded stable of backs in that running back room. Yeah, you know, we said that, Alabama fans, we said that in uh, in August and uh, September, but we've had a run of injury. And we might be down to uh, we might be down to one uh, running back, depending upon uh, Brian Robinson uh, this week. So uh, we well, good, at, well, good uh, news we today, though, at, right? What's that? I heard, I, good news today, though, right? I, did I see that uh, Coach Saban said Brian Robinson day to day? Yeah, he's day to day. He's got a hamstring, right? And so those are always tricky. That uh, he could come out and look good uh, for the first quarter, and then going into half, you know, tweak it or something. So yeah, you know, so we'll see. But everything we can get out of him, uh, we'll take. He's a hard worker. He's a fifth year guy, and and uh, just a real physical back. But uh, we've had two guys go down with knee injury in season. Uh, we had a, a a freshman come in that never really saw the field. He had an injury in camp. And uh, so we're start, starting to get really thin at the running back position. And uh, we look at you guys and, and the roster there and we think, well, that's uh, that's what we had early, earlier in the season. <laughs> Speaking of looking at the at the Georgia roster and uh, and liking, you know, what we see. And we talked about Kirby and recruiting and just the look of the athlete and fundamentally sound. Talk about this offensive line. Uh, man, we juggled our line Saturday and uh, looks like you guys have just a real sound unit. Uh, talk about this offensive front. Yeah, I wouldn't say there was panic, but there was some worry coming out of week one after Clemson because Georgia's uh, starting right guard who had made a ton of progress in the offseason, Tate Ralage, out for the year after the opening game. So there was a lot of consternation about, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to shuffle this? There was talk of moving left tackle Jamari Salyer to the interior to play one of the guards, maybe moving Justin Schaefer over. They ultimately made the decision to plug in Warren Erickson, who had started the season at center in at right guard, put in Cedric Van Prangrandrew, who's out of Louisiana, I believe outside of New Orleans is where he went to high school. Really, really good player, really cerebral player, makes a lot of the calls on the offensive line, has had a really, really transcendent year this year. And then you got Justin Schaefer, who came back for his his senior year. He was another big announcement. Jamari Stallier has been playing left tackle and doing fantastic. I believe this stat is still accurate. I do not think he has surrendered a sack uh, in his time as left tackle for the Dogs. Unfortunately, he's been hampered by an injury the last few weeks, and so there's it's still a little bit up in the air about whether or not he's going to get to play Saturday. We're hopeful, but not sure on that yet. But uh, Roderick Jones, a former five-star recruit, has filled in very ably at left tackle for him, has played very solid the last few weeks. Uh, and then Georgia Legacy, Warren McClendon, has been holding it down at, at right tackle. I would say he has probably been, you know, if, if Jamari Salyer's not in the mix, Warren McClendon is probably the most undersold person on that offensive line. Right. Has had a fantastic year at right tackle. It's kind of been an anchor that you could count on. Big kid, agile, 
another one of these guys just worked hard, waited for his shot, you know, and has really taken advantage of it. They've been toying a little bit with the lineup, and they'll insert this guy Xavier Truss in at right guard, which is crazy because he's like six seven or six eight, just a big old guy. Wow. Pretty sure Xavier went to high school in Rhode Island. I think I'm right on that. I have to double check that, but I think that's right. So we'll see what they do. Sometimes if Warren struggles a little bit, Warren Erickson struggles, they'll put Xavier in. There's been, I think, a little bit of noticeable push with the interior line when he's in, but it's one of these things where if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing, right? right? So it'll be interesting to see. I think Alabama's front four will be their biggest test. I think the front seven for Alabama will be their biggest test Mm -hmm. yet since Clemson. I thought Clemson's defense was real. Watching them in person, they flew to the football all night, and I think this will be another test of that. So I'm interested to see how they hold up, especially in the pass game, um, just because obviously with Will Anderson, it's going to be quite the yeah. quite the gauntlet to get through. So we'll, I, that's that's a matchup to watch for me for sure. Is the matchup on both sides of the ball with the lines. We'll talk about uh, – let's flip the field and talk uh, defense. I'd probably wind you up here. There's a lot to talk about on this uh, Georgia defense. <laughs> talk about the scheme and then maybe uh, maybe walk us through each of the levels. Who are some of the key players to watch? Yeah, so I think you all will be familiar with this, having Kirby as defensive coordinator for so long, you know, and, and even Coach Saban. In some ways, those schemes can be complex, and I think Kirby was his own worst enemy last year. And I think, to, to his credit, he self-analyzed and realized that they were, I think they were asking the guys to do a lot pre-play and making a lot of checks. And they were having a lot of hot calls based on what they were seeing out of receivers and motions and all these type of things. And what they said this year was, look, we're just going to simplify things. We want to have guys have limited checks to know what they're doing and then just play free. And I mean, I think the results speak for themselves, right? They've, uh, they've just been electric at, at all three levels of that defense. I've said since the summer that between Jordan Davis at nose, Nicobe Dean at linebacker, and Lewis Seen at safety, they would be as solid up the middle as any defense in all of America. And I've made the comparison to a baseball team where if you have an elite catcher, an elite shortstop, and an elite center fielder, you can fill the rest in and you'll be okay. And that's how I felt about this Georgia defense then, and I feel that way even more strongly now. Uh, Jordan Davis may be the most dynamic defensive player in college football just because of what he does at his size. And I think of how he affects the game. Um, Obviously not going to be a stat sheet filler, but if you watch the kid play and watch what he allows the guys behind him to do because of the attention that he merits, um, just a dynamic player. And then uh, N'Kobe Dean out of Horn Lake, Mississippi, uh, engineering major, really smart guy. Teammates love him. High motor and never satisfied, uh, which is what you want out of your your captain, your linebacker. Yep. And then Lewis Seen just wants to hit everything that moves. So um, I think they all play well together. And I, I think, though, it goes back to what Kirby harped on, is that we just want things to be simple so they can play that way. They've stopped doing a lot of these exotic blitzes that they were trying to do. And they've really just brought four most of the year and kind of let guys play in coverage. They've played way more zone than they traditionally have. You know, Kirby always wants to play man, and they just haven't done it as much. Uh, So in turn, I don't think guys have been on an island as much. It's not to say that they're not still doing it, but I think they've taken some of the pressure off these guys 
uh, and kind of let them get freed up and play a little bit. So I think that's been a massive difference between last year and this year. I think, uh, I think that's compelling. You know, something that we've talked about uh, on our podcast is, is simplifying the defense and, and, and almost all season we've gone back to uh, we've gone back to the Ole Miss game. We played a nickel and we, and we did not play a nickel and we limited uh, you know, just like you said, we limited the reads. We limited uh, Saban likes to call and, and, you know, Saban, or I'm sorry, Kirby, not that different. Saban likes to call the perfect defense for every play, right. For every right. sort of alignment. And look, he's got it. He's got the perfect defense for everything that, that can line up. But what you lose in the shuffling of players and the rotation of assignments when there's motion, you don't get to you don't execute the perfect defense for every for every play, uh, even though you've called it because the complexities. And if you simplify, then everyone knows their responsibility. Everyone knows everyone else's responsibility, and it's going to be eighty percent, eighty eight percent good enough for anything, even if it's not perfect. The guys are going to play faster. And that's going to contribute. That's going to that's going to pay off as well. And so Alabama did that against uh, Ole Miss. Uh, we've done a, that a couple of other times during the season. But when we get away from that and we try to call every, we try to technobowl every play. That's where where we tend to when tend to get in trouble. Talk about this Georgia defense, and uh, I'm going to take notes as as you explain. But uh, where where have teams seemed to have the most success? Success may be beyond a, a relative term, but where have teams had the most success going against this dog defense? Yeah, it's tough. You know, in a lot of ways, they're historically good. I mean, they're coming off a season where they're, they're limiting opponents to, I think, 6.7 points a game or something like that. Tennessee put up 17. That was the biggest number all year. And, you know, if you take out touchdown scored against the second team, that number would get even lower. So this first team defense is – it's an animal. I mean, I think the way to attack it is to be quick and to use the short and intermediate passing game. If you're able to simulate a run game, nobody has shown that they can run the football against Georgia, which then limits your opportunity to pass off the run, which is problematic if you're an offense. Right. But I think you have to simulate that in some way. I think that was Kentucky's game plan. Uh, they threw to Wandell Robinson. I think Wandell Robinson had 12 catches that day, but they were for 34 yards. So I think that was their game plan. I just don't think they had the athletes to execute it. Now, Alabama will have a different level of athlete. So if I was scheming offensively against that defense, I would look to do that to bring the top down to then try and pop it. Yeah. I think they've been susceptible on the boundary whether it be Keeley, not so much Darion Kendrick, but Keeley Ringo's gotten beat a couple times deep and folks have missed. Uh, sometimes when they're in nickel, if you can match up Latavius Brenny on somebody and get a favorable matchup, he has been beaten a couple times. Um, they've switched up their game plan though. And they've been playing a lot of Chris Smith and Dan Jackson, the former walk on in their nickel packages, I think to give an extra layer of speed and a, and a better coverage angle. Uh, Chris Smith has been injured though. So it's still up in the air about whether or not he's going to play Saturday. So that could be something to watch, but, but that would be my game plan would be to come out. The other one would be Tennessee did this effectively in the first quarter and that's to go fast. And obviously Alabama likes to go fast. Mm -hmm. So I think they should utilize that. If that's how I was scheming, that's what I would do. I would go fast. I would try to hit 
stuff in the three to six yard range early to try and take advantage of that underneath shell and then take some shots in the intermediate dig game, try to hit some stuff over the top just to loosen things up. But look, I, that's all easier said than done, right? Sure. I think that's been the game plan for a lot of folks. For and this defense at all three levels is just so fast. I mean, that's the thing I think you're going to see Saturday is if you're wa- whether you're watching on TV or whether you're watching in person at, at the bends, they're just dynamically fast at all three levels. Um, and I just think it makes it tough, tough to find a crease, tough to pop a play. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know how to beat them. I'll tell you. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. It's a tough question. A lot of teams yeah. have, uh, have not had a, an answer for that. Yeah. So. I, I do think though, that if, if Alabama can get some push and establish any type of run game, they will give themselves an opportunity that nobody else has given themselves all season. And that's the ability to work off the run that has essentially been a non-starter from game one. Just nobody runs the football. So, and not because they don't want to, they just can't. can't. And so if, if Alabama is able to establish that in any way, whether it's with Brian Robinson or whether it's with Trey Sanders, whoever, uh, I think they have some interesting options, especially given their weapons on the perimeter. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let me get you out of here uh, with an easy one. Who's your favorite dog? Oh, man, of all time or this year? Well, I'll take both. Okay, all time. This is tough, man. I have a lot. You have guys you you love and get attached to. Yeah. I loved Jarvis Jones when he was there. Um, You just talk about a guy that put his head down and went to work and uh, pretty much won two cocktail parties by himself with his defensive performance. So, always loved Jarvis. He's back with the program now working for the football team. So, loved him. I mean, hard not to love Todd Gurley. He's just what a what a dynamic player yeah. he was. I wasn't alive to see Herschel, but Todd Gurley's one of the most dynamic college football players I ever saw with my own eyes. So um, hard not to pick him. And you know, <laughs> this year's team, uh, it's hard to nail one down. But I, I will tell you, it, it's got to be somebody on that defensive side of the football, whether it's Jordan Davis or Nicobe Dean. I'll tell you, one of my favorites and somebody all Alabama fans should watch and college football fans should watch is number 41, Channing Tendall. I swear, that kid, he was a, a big recruit out of Columbia, South Carolina. Didn't get a chance to play early because of all the depth they had in that linebacker room, which, you know, multiple guys in the pros now playing, whether it's Rokon Smith or Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy. Um, just a ton of talent, right? Kid could have transferred, played somewhere else, stayed at Georgia. And, I mean, just plays with his hair on fire and seems like he has a jetpack installed in the back of his shoulder pads. I mean, we have dubbed him the Falcon on our podcast. I mean, it's just as if he he ignites himself and he's Sam Rogers. So, nice. I mean, he's just uh, – he's, he's, he's incredible. Uh, I love watching that kid play. Um, so he, he's got to be up there. I don't know. This, this team is so hard to pick because you got so many, many fun stories and, and, and fun kids. So, yeah, it, it, it's a great group. Nice. Well, I, got, I, turned, I turned back a, a few more pages in the book, but I think some of my uh, – and I think they play together. Uh, but some of my favorite uh, Georgia Bulldogs are Heinz Ward and uh, Garrison Hurst. I love yeah. Garrison Hurst. He was so much fun to watch. Those are good ones, man. Garrison Hurst was a stud for sure. You know, Heinz Ward is uh, – climbing his way up the coaching ladder in college now. So yeah. he's beloved at Georgia and so many good ones. David Pollock, I mean, he's another oh, yeah. one, great player and has obviously done well for himself, makes his home in Athens now. He actually coaches youth teams in Athens. Oh, so nice. very involved in the community there. And um, 
that's the beauty of it, right? Beauty of college sports that I think you don't get as much with with pro teams is yeah. guys love it and they come back. And I think that's kind of the coolest part is the community of it and and all those type things. So yeah, it's fantastic. great. Fantastic. Well, uh, Herschel, appreciate you joining us tonight. It's a, a great conversation. Uh, learn a little bit uh, more about the Bulldogs and uh, look forward to a big matchup on Saturday. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. All right, there you go. Uh, that was uh, that was Herschel with Saturday in Athens podcast, and I hope you all uh, certainly enjoyed it. I'll tell you what, we really have our work cut out for us Saturday uh, against the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, if you look up and down the roster, they've got athletes everywhere. They've got a team that is really coming together. Uh, I really think Kirby Smart has, has put together something special uh, this year. As Alabama fans, all the things that we want to – uh, to th- say or think or do relative to Georgia. I hate to say it. There's something special uh, about this team. And uh, this team is going to be a challenge on Saturday. They will absolutely be a challenge to beat once. And uh, if we are fortunate enough to win the game, uh, the prospect of playing them again, whew, uh, that's uh that's a scary, uh, that's a scary, scary deal. Hey, but that's what we're in this for, right? Uh, Alabama uh, wants to compete for championships, and we have to play uh, some of the best teams. And some days they're going to get the better of us, and some days we're going to get the better of them. We want to have more of those days on top. And uh, Saturday is going to be uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting opportunity. I do think that we can put together a formula. I do think that we uh, have the ingredients for a recipe for success. But we're going to need this Alabama team to perform at a level that we've not seen many times uh, this season. And so uh, we've talked about this team being imperfect, this team being flawed, uh, this team having all the skill in the world, and we need sort of that witch's brew to come together Saturday uh, for Alabama to really have its best performance and uh, see if we can't uh, see if we can't tame these Georgia Bulldogs. All right, if there's any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us, hit us up on the Facebook. Hit us up on the website at alabamafootballpodcast.com. We love and enjoy hearing everyone. And, hey, if you enjoy these interviews, and we really hope you do, they're a lot of fun for us. We hope they're a lot of fun for you. And if you're listening at this sort of end of the hour, so to speak, then hopefully you really enjoy what we're doing. Go leave us a comment or drop us a question. Let us know that you enjoy the interviews and uh, let us know that they're as much fun uh, for you as they certainly are for us. All right, with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tie. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, coach? Of course. Roll Tide.